reality is, in every part of the world, in every nation, throughout the entirety of the world, people have worshipped. They have worshipped. Like, why would someone in some far-flung corner of the earth decide that they would worship and sacrifice to some inanimate object, such as a tree or, or a goat or whatever it might be? Why would someone decide to give that thing ultimate worth and sacrifice to it? That happens all over the world. It has always happened all over the world. Why is that? That is because at the very heart of us, we have been made in such a way that we are built to worship. Now, we've all come together with Cornerstone Church this morning. And I, I say that very intentionally. We've come together with Cornerstone Church this morning. We didn't come, you didn't come to church this morning. Do you, do, you know, do you know what I'm saying when I say that? You didn't come to church. You came to Rathfryland Young Farmers. You came to gather with the church this morning. You didn't come to church. You came to gather with the church. You came for a purpose. And I don't know if you thought about it much before you did so. Uh, I hope that you did. But, but what we're claiming to do when we gather with the church is what we're claiming to do is, is we're claiming to worship and worship God, the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what we're claiming to do. That's why we're here. In the words of a, a song, we have come to worship the Lord. We have come to worship the Lord, bow down before Him, love and adore Him. That's what we've come to do. That's why we're here, and that's great. It is a an unbelievable privilege that we have week in, week out, to get to do that in freedom. It's a good thing. But what about tomorrow morning when the kids are driving you insane and you cannot believe that it is only the 23rd of July? How can it be so? When you go into work tomorrow morning and your boss is being a pain in the neck. When you look at the bank balance and the bank balance isn't great. Or when you go to the doctors and you get the cancer diagnosis. How do we worship then? How do we worship then? And I mean that from a very, very practical perspective this morning. I don't mean how, as in, how can I worship him when times are bad? I don't, I don't mean that. Because what I'm going to do this morning is, is I'm going to massively give you and I the doubt this morning, which is not like me, to be fair, but I'm going to give you and I the, the benefit of the doubt this morning, and I'm going to claim that, that I think the church and the church here in Cornerstone Church want to worship, have a desire to worship, and know that we are supposed to worship even in tough times. I think you know that. I think you want to do that. I think you get that. I think we understand that. I think we're, we, we understand that we're supposed to, um, um, but, but I, I don't know if we know how. I don't know if we know how when we look at the 
bank balance and it's not great and our attention is drawn to our circumstances. Or when we get the cancer diagnosis and our attention is drawn to our circumstances. I, I'm not sure that we know how to worship in those moments. I think we want to. I think we know we have to. But I'm not sure we know how. And so this morning what we're going to see from this psalm, hopefully, is David is going to teach us four ways in which we can worship in all circumstances, regardless of our circumstances. Four ways in which we can worship. And the first one is this. It's very, very simple. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Thanking God as a means of worship is commanded over and over and over again in Scripture. Let me give you some examples. Psalm 100. Enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for what he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. Ephesians 5, 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. 1 Thessalonians 5. In everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Those are just the tip of the iceberg. The command is over and over and over again in all circumstances, in everything. Give thanks as a means of worship. Dozens and dozens of verses tell us to worship by giving thanks. See, most people are only as happy as their circumstances dictate. Most people are only as happy as their circumstances dictate. But when we know Jesus, when we know Jesus, we have always something that we can be thankful for. Always. And we can always worship Him through thanksgiving. Maybe you don't think so. But I want to share a story with you, and uh, some of you will be familiar with this person, uh, a story from Corrie ten Boom. Uh, Corrie ten Boom and her sister Betsy uh, were imprisoned in the Second World War for hiding Jews, for giving, for giving uh, safety to, to Jews when the Nazis were after them. And they were put in a concentration camp. And Corrie tells this story about her and, and is it Betsy or Beth? Is it Bet? It's Betsy, isn't it? I'm right. It's not. Yeah, I'm right. Betsy. So they're in. They're in their concentration camp, and discovering their concentration camp was swarming with lice. Now, many of us here would 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 like that for a start. I couldn't. I I would find that very difficult. I I can't have that sort of thing. It makes my skin crawl. Just not good at all. Right. So discovering their concentration camp was swarming with lice. Corey Corey Ten Boom. Right, Corey Ten Boom, who the one the one we always hold up as this this saint. Right, Corey said to her sister, "How can we live in such a place? Show us, show us how." 
Betsy, Betsy said, show us, show us how. And it's interesting to say, to say that Corey says, it was said so matter of fact that it, it almost her life and her prayer life and, and reality were just all seemed to be mixed into one at this point. So Betsy would just start praying and it would be like, oh, who's she talking to? Oh, she's talking to God. All right. Show us how, show us how. And then Betsy wailed, Corey, Corey, he's given us an answer. So Corey's freaking out. Betsy's praying, show us how, God, how can we be thankful for living in such a place? And then she exclaims, he's given us an answer. In the Bible this morning, he said, always pray constantly, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. I've got the answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. And we can start right now to thank God for every single thing about our new barracks. Corey says she stared at her, then looked around at the dark, foul-erred room and said, such as. Such as, Betsy went on to say, such as being assigned here together. Corey says, I bit my lip. Oh yes, Lord Jesus, such as what you're holding in your hand, said Betsy. I looked down at a Bible. Corey says, yes, thank you, Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women in here, in this room, who will meet you in the pages of this book. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding in here, since we're packed so close that many more will hear. And then she looked at Corey expectantly again, and she prodded. Yes, oh, all right. Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on, serenely. Thank you for the fleas. Corey said that was too much. <laughs> Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of the place where God has put us. And so we stood between the piers of bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. But this time, I was sure that Betsy was wrong. <laughs> Give thanks in all circumstances. And that might sound a little bit silly, but looking to thank God for something in all of our circumstances, in every situation, that is worship. That's worship. By elevating God above our circumstances, that is worship. What the, the two girls were effectively saying is God is greater than our circumstances. Even in the concentration camp, God is better than our circumstances. And giving thanks to Him in every situation that they found themselves in. And as I said, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you know Jesus, then you always have something to give thanks for. If you know Jesus as Savior, Ephesians 1, 3, I, I read it last week for us as we began the service, says this, it says, bless, you are blessed. Listen to this. If you're a follower of Jesus in this, in this room today and, and you're struggling to find something to be thankful for, listen to these words. You have been, past tense, 
blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is what you have. The rest of Ephesians 1 goes on to list some of those blessings. Forgiveness of sin, adoption into the family of God, the knowledge of His will, the Holy Spirit in our heart, the imperishable inheritance that is left over for us in heaven. And yet, and yet, most of the time we are such an ungrateful people. We give worship to God by thanking Him for all that He has done and elevating Him above all our circumstances. This is one of those things uh, that, that the world, I don't know if you're aware or you're, you've, you've seen much stuff on social media, or whatever, but this is one of those things that the world has tried to hijack from the Scriptures and claim as its own. If you, if you look today at any self-help stuff, right? If you're on social media and you're, and you're familiar with any of the self-help stuff out there, one word that will be said over and over again that will help you, and that is what? Gratitude. Gratitude. It is literally one of the number one buzzwords in the world at the moment for self-help gratitude. And it has stolen it. It has hijacked it from God, and claimed it as its own. Oh, we're so wise. Bible got there first. The Bible got there first. Give thanks in all circumstances. The psalmist says here, David says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. First way to worship this morning is give thanks. Give thanks. David goes on, uh, give thanks to the, to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount of your wonderful deeds. Point number two. Second way in which we worship, the second way in which you worship tomorrow, and not just in here on a Sunday, the second way you're going to your workplace tomorrow, wherever you are tomorrow, wherever you be on Tuesday, whatever you're doing, is recount all of his wonderful deeds. That's a way to worship. It's to tell people about the things that God has done. And that's basically what I say, and I will tell of all your wonders, your, your wonderful deeds. It is telling other people. Telling other people what someone has done can be some, one of the highest forms of praise. You do it all the time. We do this all the time. So, I was trying to think of examples this week of, of, of telling others of what someone has done. So, for example, right, I'm, I'm just going to look around the room and... and and I could be completely wrong, right? And this could, I'm just making stuff up as I go along right now. So this is, this is what it is. But I'm looking down, I see Windsor and Brenda, right? Windsor, right? This is a hypothetical situation, right? Because it never happened, right? Uh, but for example, I'm talking to Brenda someday down in the ark in the new coffee shop, I'm only saying, right? Because Brenda's never out of it. Uh, right? I'm down there and Brenda says to me, Brenda, Brenda says to me, she says, do you know what? Windsor did something this morning in the house, and it was just wonderful, and he cleaned up, again, hypothetical, uh, and, he, and he cleaned up, and he did such a great job, and he really nailed it, and I'm really happy with him, and blah, 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 right? So, for example, that is giving praise indirectly. You see what's happening? She is recounting all of Windsor's wonderful deeds. 
one wonderful deed. But that's what she's doing. She is exclaiming the excellencies of, of Windsor and recounting all the things that he's done. It's the same thing when we come to God, when we tell other people about what God has done. That is a form of worship. It's an indirect form of worship. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. This is worship. Let me ask a question. When was the last time? When was the last time you had a conversation with someone and you recounted the wonderful deeds of God? Random, just a, just a random conversation where you sat with someone and was like, do you know what God has done this week? Do you know what God showed me this week? Just recounting all the things that He has done for you. I would say if it's been a while, then ask God for opportunities this week to recount His wonderful deeds. Ask God to give you opportunities where you can worship Him in that manner. Again, just a small point, a side point. But it says, I will recount all, all of your wonderful deeds. Like, I'm sure we all know people, right? We all know people that when they tell a story, you know you're going to get every single detail of the story. Yeah, see, I can see people laughing already. You, you know that person. You know that person when you start, it's like, well, I think it's, I can't remember which one it was, but it's like the most boring priest in the world in Fawad Head. Uh, when, he, when he starts to tell a story, he just goes on and on and on and every detail, and you really don't want the details, but you get the details, and, and you're just wishing it would stop. We all know that person. But when was the last time we even stopped to think about all of the wonderful things that God has done for us? All of them. Like, it takes us back to, to point one, really. We're probably not consciously thinking about all the things that we can be thankful for. Like, even this morning, we, 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 we get up, and I know, I know it might sound silly, and it might sound... It might sound daft, but this morning we get up and we, most of us will have breakfast. If we choose to have breakfast, most of us will have it. We get a coffee. We have air in our lungs. Most of us probably drove here in cars. There, there, there are countless things, countless things to be thankful for and recount about how God has provided those things for us and given us those things. And, and that's not even getting into the spiritual element. That's not even being like, oh, oh, let's, let's recount all of his wonder, wondrous deeds when it comes to salvation. Like, so when was the last time you recounted all of his wonderful deeds to anyone as a form of worship? Are you having those conversations? Are we consciously thinking about the wonderful things that God has done for us? Or are we just 
going through life, oblivious. The psalmist here is awake. He's alive. He's giving thanks to the Lord with his whole heart. He's recounting all of his wonderful deeds. So that's number two. Number one, give thanks. Number two, tell others. Recount all his wonderful deeds. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of go to the fourth one here and then back to the third if, if, in, in the text. But, but, but bear with me. Uh, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Number three, sing. Number three, sing. I will sing praise to your name. One of the best ways I think we worship God is to sing. And again, there's, there's multiple examples and multiple commands in Scripture where God, God's people are told to sing. Exodus 15 says, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Psalm 9, 11 again says, sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Psalm 47, sing praises to our God, sing praises. For God is king over all the earth, sing praises with a skillful psalm. Singing, singing is one of the most important means we have of worshiping God. This is why I could never understand, right? Never. I could never get it in my head. I became a Christian in a, I would say, quite, I don't, I don't know how to put it actually, in, in, in a quite reserved church, right? I became a Christian in a quite reserved church. And so I could never understand why, and I was thankful for my grandfather who took me to church who, who always sang, always, no matter where he was, always sang, sang in the kitchen, sang in the bathroom. No matter where he was, he sang. And, and when we went to church, he was standing beside me and we would sing loud. And loud's not always good, trust me. But some of you need to know that. Uh, loud is not always good. But we would sing with gusto. And I could never understand it, why the people of God would get together and sound like they didn't want to be there. I just, I, I could never get it in my head. Like, wow, you're singing, your lips are moving, but there's like no oomph with it. Thankfully, that's not the case here, I don't think. Sometimes it is. Uh, but, but most of the times, it's not. Singing is one of the most important ways we have of worshiping God. That's why, like, it's not rocket science, but that's why a significant portion of every worship gathering is song. It's song. It's important. And here's the thing about singing. We're not just singing. It's not just a sing-along. That would be nice, but it's not just that. It is a form of prayer. We're, we're, we're praying when we're confessing truth about who God is, when we're proclaiming what He's done for us. We are praying in song. And we need to understand that we're not just singing. It's not a sing-along. We are here to sing to God. He's our audience. Not those around us. Not the band. Not, 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 uh, it is God who is our audience. And we're singing to Him. So yes, loud might not always be good, but at least be loud. 
Loud may not always be good, but at least be loud. Song is important. Singing is important. But what we sing is equally as important. What we sing is equally as important. Most of you would be familiar with the encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman uh, and at the well. And they're, they're chatting, they're having a chat, and, and she wants to turn the conversation away from what Jesus wants to talk about, and she's trying her best to turn the conversation away from what Jesus wants to talk about. Uh, and, and Jesus makes this statement in this interaction where she's saying, oh, will, will we worship here or will we worship there? And Jesus turns around to her and says, Someday, what, what we want is people who will worship in what? You, know, you, know, you probably know the text. In what? In spirit and in truth. Someday that will happen, where we worship in spirit and in truth. Now, there's been a lot of debate about what spirit means. There, there's, there's some people who think it's, it's just from our spirit, and some people think it's from the Holy Spirit. But the word spirit here is most probably the Holy Spirit. And I think I think one of the, the ways in which the, the Western church in particular needs to be careful in, in the world we're living in today is that Jesus said we would worship in spirit and in truth. And I think one of the ways in which we should be care, need to be careful is that it's not all spirit and no truth. No all spirit and no truth. Truth in this statement that Jesus makes is easier for us to actually understand. The truth that we must worship in must conform, must conform to the revelation of God in Scripture. It must conform to the revelation of God. It must be informed by who God is and what He is like from the words of Scripture. Our worship, the words we sing corporately, the songs we sing must be rooted in and tethered to the reality of biblical revelation. Worship is not meant to be formed by what feels good or is a good tune. Do you know what I mean? Genuine, Christ-exalted, Christ-exalting worship must never be mindless. So we're all just here having a good time. And we don't really worry what the words say. As long as it sounds good in our ears. It's a good, it's a good tune. You know, it's easily singable. But it doesn't matter what the words say. No. No. It must be doctrinally grounded. And there's a word we all love, isn't it? Doctrine. Let me just dispel a, dispel a myth for you right now about what the word doctrine means, right? Doctrine means the study of God. Yes? When you open your Bible, what are you doing? You're engaged in doctrine. 
So don't poo-poo the word. It's important. It's important. It is massively important. Seriously important. That when we sing songs, and I don't mean, uh, back to the start again, I don't necessarily just mean in here on a Sunday. I mean the stuff you're listening to on YouTube, on the YouTube, or on whatever music format, multiple music format. There are other multiple music formats out there available. Uh, whatever they are, think. Think. Is this consistent with what I know of God in Scripture? And then sing it, if it is. And if it's not, don't sing it. Don't listen to it. Because what we're doing when we're singing, I guarantee you now, right? I guarantee you now, and this is a massive statement I'm going to make. I guarantee you now, you will remember the songs we sing in here more than you will remember the words I say. Am I wrong? You're all afraid to actually say it, but it's true. You will remember the words of the songs we sing more than the words I will say. That's how important it is that we sing truth. One of my, this is, this, you probably can tell, but, but this is important to me. Why is it important to me? Why is it important to me that I can encourage you to think biblically? Why is it important to me? Because I am one of the ones who in Cornerstone Church will give an account for your soul. Do you get that? Hebrews tells me that I will be one of the ones who will give an account for your soul as an elder. Therefore, it is massively important to me that you think biblically. Not just what sounds good or sounds right or, or feels good or feels right. That's why it's important. It's important for discipleship because you won't, if you're not, get reading, singing, whatever truth, you're not being discipled. Sing. What we sing is important, but sing. And as I said again, loud is not always good, but at least be loud. All right? Sing with gusto. Be careful what you're listening to. Finally, finally, he says, it is going to be shorter than normal. I usually eke it out at this stage. Just to let you know we hint. If I see there's 20 past 11, right? And I see, say, finally, there's a good 15 minutes left there. All right? So, finally. So, three things so far. They are give thanks, gratitude. Number two, tell others, recount all of his wonderful deeds. Three, sing praise. Fourth, and finally, be glad and exult in you. 
the way that you can worship tomorrow morning when the kids are going nuts, when everything's going up the left, when your boss is being a pain, when you wish it was the 1st of September, is be happy in God. Be happy in God. I will be glad in you and exalt you. This is one that we bit different in not so much as something we do, but something we are. And to be honest, this hasn't been planned this way, but it seems to be a bit of a theme that is running through this series in the Psalms. I picked this up this week. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't plan this. I didn't really see this coming. But it seems to be a bit of a theme, and, and it's this. Are we happy in God? Are we satisfied in God? Being happy in God and, and despite our circumstances. Psalm 4, verse 7, David says this, You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. What David is saying is this. David is saying that most people's gladness, happiness, depends on their circumstances. He says most people are really happy, really glad, really content when what? Their grain and their new wine abound. When everything looks sweet, they're happy. They're content when their circumstances are good. But folks, that's a shallow kind of happiness, is it not? That's a shallow kind of happiness when it's entirely based on our circumstances. Well, that kind of happiness, you're only as happy as long as you have the stuff and things are going well. But David says in, in Psalm 4, you you have put gladness in my heart. It's more than when the grain and new wine abound. In other words, he says, happiness, joy, contentment is not based on his circumstances, but it's based in God. It's based in Him. I will be glad in you and exalt you. Psalmist says here in, in, in 4, his joy was in God, not God plus. Not God plus a, a healthy bank balance. Not God plus a nice home. Not God plus a lovely family. Not God plus a successful career. Not God plus anything. God and God alone. Later in his life, uh, the well-known missionary Hudson Taylor was at his home in England. He was supposed to be on, on a temporary uh, furlough, and he was seriously injured in a fall. So seriously injured, he was paralyzed. And this is what his biographer wrote. He said, Laid aside in the prime of his life, he could only lie in an upstairs room, conscious of all there was to be done, of all that was not being attended to, 
And all he could do was lie there and rejoice in God. It may be sometimes in our lives that God will allow us to be deprived of some of the things that we thought would really make us happy so that we discover that He's what we need. So that we can learn to say, like David in Psalm 4, it's you that have put gladness in my heart. Not the things around me. Not my circumstances, not my possessions, not my family, not my, not my wealth, not, not anything else. You have put gladness in my heart. Are you glad in God? I think I'm going to retitle this series, Glad in God, Happy in God. So tomorrow, not just when we're in here, not just when we have opportunity, not just when this, this opportunity is provided for us weekly, are we going to worship? Are we going to worship by giving thanks, being thankful people? Are we going to worship by telling others about the wonderful things that God has done for us? Are we going to worship by singing? Or are we going to worship by being happy, content people in God? Ultimately, ultimately, the reason why we would do any of those things is because we know Jesus. Because we know Jesus. I've been listening a wee bit of just brief bits of Tim Keller lately. It's funny how you wait until people are dead and then you listen to them. But listening a wee bit of Tim Keller recently, and he said two of the words, two, two of the words that helped him most in his life. And, and when you, Keller says something like that, you probably should listen. Two of the words that, that helped Tim Keller in his life and in his death most were these two words, and why we should worship Jesus. Substitution. Substitution. Think about that. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the perfect Lamb, is your substitute. Took your place. Lived the perfect life that we could not live. Died the death that we deserve and gave himself for us. He is your substitute. The second word is justification. Two good theological words. Substitution, he stood in. Justification, because he stood in, you go free. And you're fully justified before God. You imagine that. You just, just think about that this morning. As we come towards communion, as we come towards singing again, Think on those two words. Think on the fact that the perfect son, the perfect lamb is your very substitution. I am so thankful. 
If that doesn't produce thankfulness, I, I, I don't even know for Christians. That the perfect lamb stood in our place. To what? Completely and fully justify you before God. You, if you're in Christ Jesus, are free. The penalty of sin and death has been removed. And you are completely justified in a sight. What an amazing truth. An amazing truth that should produce an overwhelming thankfulness in our hearts. Amen? You're free. So as we come to communion this morning, we think about those final words of Jesus given to us by Paul in Corinthians. I just want to read them to us just as we come to communion this morning again. Paul, talking about communion, said this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. There's that Basically, what's Jesus talking about there? Substitution. Here is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. What? In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What are we doing in communion? We are remembering those two words. We are remembering substitution and we are remembering justification. That's exactly what we're doing. We're remembering that Christ took our place with his body and with his blood. We are remembering that he justifies us and sets us free and makes us whiter than snow in in the eyes of an almighty God. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I lovingly ask that you do not take communion this morning. This is a meal. This is a a, a moment of remembrance for those who are following Jesus. Who know what it is to have him as their substitute. To know what it is to be justified before him. If that's not you, I lovingly ask that you don't take communion. Let's take a couple of moments and just to remember, just to pray through that and remember what Jesus has done for us. And then we'll take communion together. Let's pray.